Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. Usually when uh, I preach, I'm preaching from a specific text. So like, for instance, I'm going to open to the book of Romans. We're going to go to chapter six and line by line, I'm just going to walk through that in our whole time together. And I'm going to try to tell you what the Apostle Paul meant when he wrote that. Because truly believe you guys didn't come to hear Blake Farley speak as much as that would stroke my ego. You came to hear the word of God. I am 25 years old. Basically means I know nothing, right? I am, I'm an infant in the world. And yet what gives me confidence to stand up here and boldly tell you what I am saying is that I'm relying upon a word that is thousands of years old, that has stood the test of time and has proven over and over and over by the fruit that it bears, that it works, that it's the true way to live. And so that's what gives me my confidence. Today, I'm going to do something a little bit different. And that is I'm going to kind of jump around. Because what I like to do from time to time is to make the path towards becoming Christ-like clear for you. Uh, I believe that for a lot of us, we know where we want to end up, but we don't know how to get there. And what Bree just read for us is the finality of what it looks like to be in Christ Jesus. I would call it a, a transforming union. In other words, that I have the thoughts that Jesus has. Like, I love my wife how Jesus would love my wife if he were me. I spend my money how Jesus would spend my money if he were me. I spend my time the way Jesus would spend his time if he were me. I drive like Jesus would drive if he were me. That's the one where I'm really failing. You cut me off and I'm no longer a Christian. Uh, It's just true. Uh, So how do I get from where I am to where Jesus would want me to be, which is this transforming union that he has. And I believe there are eight steps, eight stages. And you might be like, I'm not on a spiritual journey. I don't even like God. And I would say, you're still on a spiritual journey because God made you in his image. And there's a God sized shape hole in your heart that can only be filled by God. And you can try to fill it with other things and it might work for a little bit, but at the end of the day, you're going to end up empty and you're going to wonder why am I not finding any peace in my life? Why do I not know purpose? And what would it even look like to live a life that is fulfilled? And what you'll find over and over is that Jesus of Nazareth is the only one who has answers to those kinds of questions. So here's my goal today. My goal is to walk through, I'm going to walk through the first six stages of a spiritual journey. Because if you're in stage seven and eight, which is spirit-empowered ministry and transforming union, then you need to be up here teaching me. Because those things are very unique and very rare. I've only met like three or four people in my entire life who I see them and I'm like, This must have been what it was like to walk with Jesus, to be with Jesus. Like they have such joy and peace and and they're so caring and kind. And that person just cut them off and they're not even mad about it. Like what is this creature? And it's a creature who has spent time with Jesus. And it takes years, decades of following Jesus Christ to become like him. So I want to walk us through the first six stages, which is where most of us will find ourselves. And here's what I want you to do. As I say something, I want you to listen and just be honest with yourself. You don't have to be honest with anybody else, but be honest with yourself and say, this is probably the stage where I am. And then I want to ask you to take your next step. And I'm going to try to make it really clear about what the next step is. And then once I hit your stage, you're welcome to fall asleep. You don't even have to listen to the rest of the sermon. (laughs) Just find your stage and then take the next step. Because I believe clarity is of vital importance. And we, we we know this in marriage as well. For instance, a couple weeks ago, Taylor and I had this kind of funny moment where uh, I, was, I was in a counseling session, and my counselor gave me homework. He said, this week I want you to, uh, number one, disconnect from your phones, disconnect from everything, and then number two, spend time with Taylor. I want you to hold her hands and talk about feelings, which I was like, man, that sucks. I don't want to do that. Uh, 
But that's what he told me to do. So I'm writing in my notes. I, I set a, a scrap piece of paper on the kitchen table with me. And, you know, I'm just kind of shorthanding it. And I put disconnect and tailor. I just put disconnect, tailor. Well, I leave. I go to the office. My beautiful wife comes home. And she's cleaning up my mess on the kitchen table. Now, she knows I've been in counseling. And she looks at the, the sheet of paper and it says disconnect and tailor. So she thinks Blake's feels disconnected from me. He talked about it with his counselor. <laughs> so my wife, I get home. I don't know that she knows this. I don't know what's going on. And she starts being overly nice to me. It was like the weirdest thing. She's like, ask me about my feelings. Ask me about things going on. She's like, do you want to spend time together? You want to go on a date this weekend? And I'm like, what? Why is she acting this way towards me? And so finally I said, Taylor, what is going on? And she said, well, I didn't want to tell you, but I saw your notes from counseling. And I thought we were feeling really connected, but apparently you think we're disconnected. And uh, I, I use that as an illustration because I think that's how a lot of us feel about the journey with Christ. Like we can hear a message. Some of you came on Easter Sunday and you're like, oh, that was great. That was awesome. And now what? Right? Like commit my life to Christ. So now what do I do? And what has really been helpful to me is when people make it very clear what it is supposed to look like to be a follower of Christ. So that is my goal today. And here's stage one. And I'm going to guess none of you are in this stage because you probably wouldn't be in this room. And that is indifferent. This is how we are all born. We are indifferent towards Jesus. Now I've heard people say, Blake, you don't know me. I was, I was born in the church. Like literally it was Sunday. My mom gave birth to me in the building. So we wouldn't miss a Sunday. I've never been indifferent towards Jesus. And I would just say, sorry for that image. I just put in some of you guys' heads. I would just say that that is false. That you can be indifferent because you are ignorant, meaning you just don't know about Jesus, which is a lot of people, but you can also be indifferent in the fact that you just ignore what Jesus says to do. That you're living for yourself. Jesus has, has no control over your life. You decide what you do, and you don't really care anything about what Jesus says to do because you don't actually think he knows the best way to live your life. There's just nothing in you that wants to follow him. This is the way the Bible says we are all born. We are bent towards living for ourselves. It's like a car that's out of alignment. If you just let go of the wheel, the car is going in the ditch. If you just let go of the wheel of your life, you're going to go into selfishness. It's just what you do. It's how you're made. That's why you don't ever have to teach your kid to steal from somebody, right? Like it's never like, hey, today we're going to teach little Johnny how to lie. He figures that one out on his own. Why? Because there's something in us that wants to protect ourselves. We go for selfishness. It's indifference towards Christ. So the next step for somebody in this stage is actually not a step at all for them. It's for you. That if you are a Christ follower, you have to be the one to help them take their next step. And here's why. Because they don't care. They don't want to take a next step. There is no next step for somebody who is not wanting to come into Christ Jesus. So what do we do? Well, we have to pray for them and show them our lives. It's kind of like a friend who you tell them about a really good restaurant. Like think of your favorite restaurant. And you're trying to describe it to your friend. And, and you can just tell they're kind of glazed over because they haven't experienced it, right? It's like, you've got to go. They have this awesome, this bread and the, the, their cheese there is amazing. And your friend's like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll try it. And, and really, you can tell they're just like, just calm down, all right? Because I don't really care what you're saying, but you're really excited about it. So I'm going to try to pretend to be excited about it. It's a lot like that when we talk about following Jesus with our friends. They don't understand it because they haven't experienced it. So what do we have to do is we have to live lives that help them experience what Jesus actually is like. Uh, my friend, Briley Goodwin, had been trying to get me to get a little RC toy car for a long time. Uh, and I thought, what a stupid waste of money. Uh, I didn't tell Briley that. I thought, yeah, that's cool. You got an RC car. I'm like, what a child, you know? I'm going to get a real car if I'm going to spend that much money. And uh, until 
Riley says, hey, you want to come look at my car? And I come down there, and I'm like, okay, whatever. This thing is awesome, okay? <laughs> like, it goes 900 miles an hour. He's, he's, it's going all around the thing. It flips over. It's still fine. I love it. And, and so he lets me play with it a little bit. It's awesome. And then next thing I know, I'm telling Taylor, we got to get one of those cars. And now, last night, I was outside at like 1030 showing him my toy car because I experienced it. And for a lot of our friends who are indifferent towards Christ, they're not going to experience it because here's their roadblock to getting to the next stage. They're blind, as Jesus would say. In other words, they haven't seen it with their own eyes. They, they haven't seen how awesome it is. And yet if you live lives of grace, it's not knocking on the door and saying, hey, if you were to die tonight, you know if you're going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. Uh, because that, <laughs> that hasn't been really effective for me. What's been way more effective is inviting friends into my life, eating meals with them, being there for them when their life is falling apart. Amen. And then when they come and they say, Blake, how do you have so much peace? How, how, how do you live this way? I can say because I've experienced Jesus of Nazareth. Would you like to experience him also? That's stage one, indifferent. Stage two actually might be a lot of you. In fact, I would say most people in the Bible Belt fall into stage two. And that is those who are neutral towards Christ. In other words, Jesus is fine being a part of your life, but he's not the point of your life. Like Jesus is this, this thing I do. It's like this thing I've got carved out in my life. I go to church once a month, twice a month when I can. When there's not something better to do on the calendar, I'll go to church. I'll, I'll give money to certain causes if I have enough money left over. Uh, I, I will put Jesus in a part of my life where he's helpful to my life. But in the places where Jesus goes against what I want to do, I'm not going to do those things. Like, I, I'm just not going to listen to what Jesus says about marriage or money or whatever it is in your own heart and mind. You're just kind of neutral towards Jesus. Jesus, help me where you can. I'm going to pray so that I get more money and I'm better at my job. But, but ultimately, I don't really care what you say about how I'm supposed to treat my wife or treat my husband. Or They did not like that. That's a neutral person to Jesus. Slam the door on me. That's okay. We'll pray for them. Jesus is, is not going to be the big point of my life. The point of my life is myself, or you might say, and it might be your kids, which is an awful point. Kids are awesome, but they're an awful God. If you evolve your life around your kids, they're going to destroy you. And I say that because I love you. Because your kids are eventually going to grow up, and they're going to be their own person. And I've seen so many people who live their lives around their kids become very distraught about life because their kids are going this way, and they thought their kids were supposed to go that way. So I don't know what it is in your life, but something besides Jesus is not the point. Jesus is just kind of a, a part of your life. And here's the major roadblock to getting to the next step. I'll give you a roadblock for each of these. The roadblock is what is called soul ties. In other words, you, you're kind of thinking about going all in with Jesus, but there's these other things you're afraid to give up. And look, I've been there. Uh, I, I remember very clearly uh, when I was giving my life to Christ, when I was coming to this point of conversion, I was going from being neutral about Jesus to actually going all in with Jesus. Uh, and what you have to do in these times is you have to be able to sacrifice some things that are really important to you. Like if I come to Jesus, I, I don't want to surrender control over this area. And you have to say, I am willing to surrender control. And I'm not giving a specific example because it's different in all of our lives. I became a Christian when I was uh, 13 years old. So the things that were really important to me then are very different than the things that are really important to me now. Like, for instance, I was worried about having to give up the way I looked in front of my friends as a 13-year-old kid. Now, as an adult, if I was coming to Christ, it'd probably be something more like, I'm kind of nervous about Jesus saying I have to sell my car or something radically different about the way I'm living my life, whatever that may be. 
And yet that is what we must get over to get to the third step. And here's the step where I would love for many of you to experience today for the first time. And that is the step we will call conversion. It's the commitment. It's, it's not an actual changing really of the way you live your life yet. It, it's, it's the idea of a mindset shift. That Jesus is now going to be the point of my life. That my goal in life is to now live as Jesus would live if Jesus were me. You see the big shift there. Because the shift is from Jesus, help me live my life the way I dream it to be. To Jesus, I sacrifice everything else and I want to live my life the way you would live it. And that might mean I have to give up some of the things I've been pursuing. That might mean I have to treat people in my life a little bit differently. And if this is you, your next step is baptism. Uh, Baptism is one of those things that we don't really know why we do it. Uh, but it's like something that we think, well, I mean, that's for some people, but it's not for everybody. It's kind of a special thing, but it's not all that important. And I would just say baptism is actually a beautiful ceremony in which you actually commit your life to Christ publicly. So if you read the scriptures, what you'll never find is what I was told as a kid, which is uh, pray a prayer and invite Jesus into your heart. You'll also never find in scripture, you can read it for yourself, where you're supposed to walk forward to the altar at the end of the service. Uh, And I grew up in a church where, I mean, that, that was a sacred moment. If you if you didn't play on the piano for 30 minutes uh, at the end of the service and try to make everybody cry, you didn't do your job as a pastor. Uh, and it, sometimes it, the pastor would just stand up there forever. You know what I mean? Like, I believe the Lord is moving in the heart. We're going to wait here until that person comes forward. And a couple times I was like, I'm just going to go forward so we can go home. <laughs> so this guy's not going to be quiet about it until somebody goes up there. And yet you never find that in Scripture. What do we find in Scripture? Well, Acts 2 37 says this, it says, when they heard this, heard the gospel, the good news of what Jesus had done for them, that he could be the Lord of their life, that he died for their sins, so they don't have to live in shame and condemnation. They have power in the Holy Spirit if they follow him, and there's a future hope of a resurrection. Verse 37, when they heard that, they were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, you should come forward to the altar next time you're at church. That's not what he said. You should invite Jesus into your heart. That's not what he said. It's pretty. It's beautiful. I know. I like that picture too. But that's not what he says. Here's what he says. Are you ready for it? Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 of them were added to them. How do we testify to the world that we are Christians, that we are Christ, that we are in union with Jesus? It's not by raising my hand or saying a prayer. It's by obeying the very first command Jesus gives everybody. And that's being baptized. People say, Blake, well, can I be baptized in a bathtub away from everybody because I don't like being in front of people? And I would say, that, that's okay. But the purpose of you being in front of everybody is not so that everybody's staring at you and making you feel awkward because you're supposed to be baptized into a family. Amen. See, when, when people are watching us be baptized, what we're doing as watchers is we're saying, we are now brothers or we are now sisters with this person and they are ours. They're a part of our tribe. Amen. It's like an adoption. I'm going to be with them. Or it's kind of like this. It's, it's kind of like the intentional uh, purpose of a wedding, the initial purpose, rather, of a wedding was actually so that uh, when, you, when you celebrated with the bride and the groom on their, their special day, uh, you were there with them at the high point so that you could remind them in their low points of why they first got together. 
The people at a wedding are supposed to be there to say, we surround you and we love you and life's going to be hard. Things are going to happen. Stuff that you don't expect in your dreams are going to happen. And when they do, the people sitting here witnessing this marriage are there to help you in that time. And it's a special moment for you as well. Uh, the thing I love about my baptism, and honestly, I wish I would have been baptized a little later in life because I, I don't have as special a feeling as I think I would. But it's a great reminder when you see somebody else get baptized of what Jesus has done in your own life. See, it's, it's kind of like when I go to a wedding with my wife. I love it because she gets all dressed up. I get dressed up and we go and we, we see these, this couple madly in love and completely ignorant of what they're about to step into. And, and it reminds us of the love that we had. It reminds us of that special time in our day. I'll never forget. I can still feel the chills when I think about it. Uh, wedding planning is awful. Uh, I would not wish it upon my worst enemy. Uh, amen. I got an amen on that. Because it's just true. I proposed in August and we waited till June to get married. Awful idea. Uh, because it was a year of, hey, babe, what do you think about this color or this color? What do you think about this cake or this cake? I don't care, right? But I learned really quick I can't say I don't care. Because if I don't care, then it's like, you don't care about our wedding? And it's just not good. But if I give an opinion, it's the wrong opinion. It's, it's awful. You know, it's like, I want the chocolate cake. Really? Because I was thinking vanilla. And I'm like, oh, I don't even care about the cake. But I can't say that either. And, uh, and then, of course, you get to the wedding day and you got to take a picture with people you've never even, you're like, yeah, I don't even know you. You say you're my uncle. I, I can't, I've never seen you in my life. But they want a picture of you, and, and so you're, you're taking all these pictures, you're smiling, you're trying to make everybody happy, even though it's your wedding. It's supposed to be your day, but people's feelings are getting hurt all around you, and you're trying to manage all of these emotions. But you know what makes it worth it is when you're standing up there, and all your friends and family are looking at you like this, and then the pastor says, all rise, and you stand up, and then they start playing that music, and then the doors swing open, and what happens? The bride comes around the corner. Amen. And I'll never forget that moment where... Make an eye contact with Taylor. And it's just like the, the realest moment. I can still feel it right now. That love you experience, that this, this is what it's about right now. Now, we don't actually have to experience that to be married, do we? Some of you probably didn't. Some of you maybe went to a courthouse and got married that way, and that's fine. But experiencing that moment is special for many reasons. And it's mostly because it reminds you of the reason you love this person. And it's something I can look back on when times are tough. And by the way, it should be something you remind me of. So if I'm at the bar hitting on people and you see me there, I know you guys don't go to the bar ever, uh, <laughs> except for to come to church, because <laughs> other than that, you know, we're totally normal. Uh, if I'm at the bar hitting on somebody and you were at my wedding, you ought to slap me across the face and say, hey, I was there. I remember you, you, you married Taylor. You guys are joined in union. And in the same way in our baptism, when we're starting to wander off or, or we're starting to go down a path of, of not where we need to be because that happens in life, we all backslide. We have brothers and sisters in Christ say, hey, I was there. I was there when you, you went down in the water and it represented that you were dead to yourself and you rose again as a new person. I was there when you got union with Christ Jesus. Conversion. We're doing a baptism uh, Sunday and two Sundays. Is that something you're interested in? We've got some baptism cards back there. You can fill them out and put it in the offering drop plate. Uh, as you leave, drop box. Um, I would encourage you to do that. Even if you're like, oh, I'm a Christian, I don't really need to be in front of everybody to do it. I'd say Jesus told you to do it. And if he's the Lord of your life, you probably ought to do it. And it's not as scary. I've never lost anybody. Uh, <laughs> nobody's ever drowned. 
Well, you're in a hot tub. It's really cool uh, because we're a church plant. We can do what we want. I was like, I'm not getting one of those boring baptistries. I'm going to get a hot tub. I feel like something's on the screen right now. It makes me nervous that I can't see it. All right. So the next step, uh, a roadblock actually in conversion, you can get stuck there by uh, not having adequate teaching. So here's what happens. People are like, I love Jesus. I'm all in on living life for Jesus. And they're like, I have no idea what to do now. And uh, what we do is we, we, we start trying to learn things. People who are new Christians are like, Blake, just tell me what to do. They want me to give them a list. What do I do? I pray three times a day, two times a day. How do I do this? And they want specific things. And there's a place for that very early in our Christian walk where we're learning the key doctrines of the faith. It's very important that you, you learn what you're supposed to do. But what can happen is, is we can get bad teaching. And bad teaching can keep us stuck in a place. And when I say teaching, I also want to make it clear that I'm talking about not just teaching, but I'm talking about people. Because you don't need a program, you need people, which we'll get to in a second. But you get bad teaching. And some of the, the worst ways uh, that we get this teaching is we get a bad image of God in our mind as a baby Christian. So number one is you can view God as the judge, where it's like you've got to be perfect. And if you're not perfect, then God's mad at you. I kind of call it the swivel chair God. Like you're doing something good. You read your Bible. You prayed. Awesome. Oh, you, you watched something you shouldn't watch. You did something you shouldn't do. Well, I, I'm going to turn around and wait for you. And then God kind of peeks over his shoulder. Are you better yet? Okay, you're better now. And you come around. A lot of people have an image of that kind of God, which completely negates the fact that God gave us grace in Jesus Christ. Or an, another version of God is, is a God who hasn't completely forgiven you of your past. Uh, this book right here is a great book. It's actually brand new. It's the first book that has ever walked through these Christ stages that I'm talking about. And uh, if you're interested, I would tell you to get it. It's called Journey of the Soul. It gives next steps for everything. But I wanted to read a specific part of it. Uh, and this is uh, about a lady who uh, was stuck in this stage. And it says, uh, Shannon believed the Bible taught her to hate herself. She had bad teaching when she first became a Christian. When she was growing up, her parents were drug addicts and threw wild parties where some of their groupies violated her sexually. As a young adult, Shannon's shame and sexualized identity led her to become a porn star in order to get enough money to move away from her parents. Then a Christian woman befriended her and invited her to church where she met friendly people who didn't judge her, accepted her story, and treated her with dignity. She found belonging in her church and soaked up the Bible, but she despised her past, her body, and her emotional needs. She misused and misheard Jesus' words about hating our life to shame herself. But the master's teacher's point is that our devotion to God needs to be so singular and intense that in comparison, it is as if we hate ourselves. Similarly, to deny ourselves does not mean to negate yourself, but to replace inferior worldly desires and heavenly desires that will bless you and others. For Shannon, releasing feelings and thoughts of shame helped her appreciate and absorb the healing grace that God and her church friends were giving her. As I read that the first time, it literally almost made me cry because I was thinking about somebody who had come to Jesus and experienced the grace of Jesus, and that's what caused them to want to give their life to Jesus. And then what do we do? Immediately, we begin to teach the Bible in such a way that they think they're supposed to hate themselves and hate their past. And I've seen this time and time again. We say, Jesus loves you. Now everything you're doing in your life is awful and you're a terrible person. And it's like, what? How, how does that work together? And that's because it doesn't. And see, this is something that will get us stuck in this stage. If we don't see Jesus as the gracious God that he is. So how do we get past it? Well, we go to the next stage, and that is helping relationships. See, like I said, you don't need a program. You don't need a book to teach you all about the Bible. You need to be surrounded by people. 
And I'll give you your next step right now. It's an awesome next step. If you want to take this step, if you're ready to move into helping relationships, we're having a family meal. That's what we call it. We have it once a month. And it's going to be right after this service at the Woodward Event Center. And it's, it's not a small group. You don't have to answer questions in front of everybody. All we do is we eat food together. It's going to be barbecue today. Somebody told me they made pecan pie, which makes me want to preach a lot faster because I think pecan pie is what they serve in heaven for breakfast. Amen. Just my opinion. I don't have a Bible verse for it, but I just think it has to be true. Uh, and what we do is we just, as a family, we eat together. And what's, what's so powerful about that and doing that together is that we begin to build relationships And relationships are where you learn to live a godly life. See, if you want to know what it looks like to have a godly marriage, don't read a book about godly marriage. That's okay. You can do that. But what you ought to do is find somebody who has a godly marriage so that you can see a godly marriage. Get inside the godly marriage, and then you can imitate what they are doing as they imitate Jesus Christ. And the same is true for every area in your life. You need these helping relationships. And what can be a roadblock in this stage, though, and you have to be careful of it, is we can become legalistic. And we become people who know a lot, but we don't actually live it out. And we've all probably seen Christians like this who they know everything about the Bible. They know too much about the Bible because they can tell you exactly what the seventh seal in Revelation means. And you're kind of afraid to ask them because they'll talk about it for 45 minutes. But they're the meanest person you've ever met in your life. And you're like, wait, instead of the seventh seal of Revelation, shouldn't we kind of learn about the, the joy of the Lord? Or, you know, I don't know, maybe forgive some of those people you're so bitter against. Like for me personally, I'd rather be the type of person who lives it out than the type of person who knows everything. And yet what can happen is we get stuck in helping relationships, learning about Jesus, but not actually living it out. Uh, And I've been there in my life uh, where I remember one time reading the, the book of James and it struck me because it said true and pure undefiled religion is this, to love widows and orphans. And for some reason it clicked in my head because I'd always read that and I'm like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta love the least of these. And I do that. But James specifically says widows and orphans, and God used it to pierce my heart because I thought about it and I said, you know what? I don't even know a widow, and I don't even know an orphan. How can I love somebody I don't even know? And that's pure and undefiled religion. See, some of you, you're sitting on the sidelines. Like you're content with coming in with a whole bunch of knowledge, but you don't ever actually want to get in the field and play what God has called us to do. It's like a football player who stands there all the time memorizing the playbook. They know all the plays top to bottom, but when it's time to play the game, they sit in the locker room. And the coach says, let's go. No, I'm, I'm just, I'd rather spend my time with the playbook, okay? You guys go out there and do the plays. Well, we wouldn't say that's a football player. We would say that's somebody who's a nerd. And in the same way, in Christianity, we have people who are content with just taking in knowledge, but they're not actually wanting to live it out in their lives. And your next step, if you're this person, is to move to stage five, which is responsibilities and ministry. And in stage five, uh, what we do is we begin to jump in and serve. So listen, my, my brother Rick Hay, uh, he came to one of the first ascent services, which was just a, a absolute train wreck of a service. Uh, so glad you guys weren't there for that. Uh, had to get there at like Midnight, which, by the way, we had people get here at midnight and set everything up from a fish fry last night. Can we give them a hand? Awesome folks for doing that. Had to get there at midnight and set the, there was a huge wedding. And so I had to clean up from the wedding. It was me and like five other people. And we're trying to get this thing ready for our very first service. We don't have a production or a sound guy at the time. So we're literally using my computer. And it's, it's like uh, stretched out with a cord. And you can see the cord stretched out. And my computer's just barely hanging on to this like makeshift uh, production thing we have in the back. It was awful. Uh, I can say this now. I didn't even realize the irony of it, but our sound guy was deaf uh, at the time. 
great guy. So proud of Jonathan and thankful for the way that he helped us. But that's where we were as a church plant. The, the guy who was supposed to be making sure our sound was right literally couldn't hear. Uh, so you can imagine how the service went. That's okay. You can laugh at it. He laughs at it. Uh, and, and so I, I don't know how, but Rick Hayes there, and uh, he, he experiences something that he likes, and he comes to the Lord. And then within, like, I don't know, five weeks, he's like, hey, Blake, can I help? And I'm like, can you help? Yes. <laughs> and then Rick, now to this day, runs our production. So Rick goes all in. Rick literally should be paid a salary from a cent because I think he spends 40 hours a week working on our stuff. Uh, but don't tell him that. Uh, and, and this is what you'll find in people who jump in because... Especially at the beginning, I think Rick would say that he, he enjoyed it. And he still, Rick, do you still enjoy it even though our production messes up every single week? Uh, praise God for Rick. Uh, because he was serving the Lord, he wanted to do it. And for some of you, the reason your faith is stale is because you've been on the sidelines. And I'm telling you, if you get in the game, if you start working in the ministry and doing what God called you to do, it'll take your faith to the next level. And your next step, if you're this person, is to come to Starting Point, which happens the first Sunday of every month. And at starting point, we're going to tell you a little bit about Ascent, because I believe you need to be part of a local church if you're a Christian. It doesn't have to be ours. In fact, I'll tell you about other great churches in town if you don't fit with ours. But you need to be part of a local church where you can be known, and you can know people, and you can use your gifts and skills, which is the second part of starting point. We, we do things to help you begin to understand where you can serve, where you'll be gifted to serve, so that you can get plugged in on a team and begin to live the life God would call you to live. Now... I think a lot of us are stuck in the R stage, and it's the hardest stage, in fact, to break through. In fact, I believe this is where 80% of Christians are. And you can stay here, and it'll be fine. There's a lot of great Christians who stay in the R stage. They just kind of keep bouncing. They, they are in helping relationships and responsibilities in ministry. But to take your faith to the next level, and the thing I believe God wants all of us to do, this is the last one, number six, is to take the inward journey. See, what happens in responsibilities in ministry is we begin to, to work and work and work and work in the ministry. And what happens happens to every Christian I've ever met is after a year or two years, one of two things happen. We either burn out or we blow out. So we burn out. We get tired. We get exhausted from everything that's going on, all the work that we're doing. We feel like we're working for love instead of from a place of love. What used to bring us joy doesn't bring us joy anymore. Or we blow out. It's the Christian you know who, who you never would have expected it, but they're the ones that had the affair or... You have a secret sin life that nobody knows about. They think you're the perfect Christian, and yet you still give in to this one sin. And it's probably connected to the fact that you're burning out, that you're coming, you're at church all the time, and Jesus is supposed to fix me in these ways, but it's obviously not working because I'm, I'm there every time the door is open, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. And what you're supposed to do next is the scariest thing on this journey, and that is to take the inward journey. That is to go inside and begin to experience what God wants to do in your heart. To revisit wounds of your past. To revisit those things that you don't even want to talk about. To remember what has happened to you that leads you to live the life you do now. And for a lot of us, we would rather just not go there. Now, you're talking to a guy right here. I, do, I hate feelings. Uh, I thought that we only had three feelings uh, before I, I started my own inward journey. I thought you were either you know, mad, happy, or sad. I didn't, I didn't know. And then they introduced me to a feeling wheel with like, 600 feelings on it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Uh, and then I went back and I thought, you know, I had, a, I had a pretty good childhood and I did. You know, my parents did the best they could. They loved me. Uh, and, and then I start looking at traumas and stuff. And, and like a month into this journey that I started, I'm like, wow, I'm messed up. Uh, <laughs> and my wife's like, yeah, I've been trying to tell you that. <laughs> Everybody knew it, but you. Uh, and, and so th this is what happens on the inward journey. 
as we go into it. And if this is you, if you're like, Blake, I, I, I'm stuck. I've got two pieces of advice for you. Number one, it's, it's a word. And if you learn this word, it'll change your life forever. You ready for it? No. I know this is really hard for some of us. No. Hey, hey, can you come help with this? No. And you don't even have to tell them why. I mean, you could be at home watching Netflix, relaxing, taking a, a nap. Naps are spiritual. Uh, Jesus did them. And I think they should be a part of your regimen. Uh, you could be taking a nap, and if somebody says, hey, can you come help me? There's this sweet old lady who needs a, a wheelchair ramp built. Uh, you can say no and not feel guilty. And here's why you can say no and not feel guilty. Because Jesus rested also. And you have to take care of yourself. Self-care is different than selfishness. See, self-care is me filling myself back up so that I can pour myself out again. See, if you're running on empty, you're not actually helpful. There's been many times in my ministry where I felt like my bucket was really low and it didn't take much for me to yell at you or snap at you and tear your head off. And that was when I realized, wait a minute, something's off here. And uh, Kelly, if you want to go ahead and come forward, I would, I would encourage you guys uh, to, to truly look into this and to ask yourself, where am I at on stage? And I think for a lot of us, it's going to be taking this next step. And here's how you can know if you're there or you're not there. How do you feel when you're serving the Lord? Does it still bring you life? Are you doing it out of joy? Or is it something that sucks life out of you? And, and when, when you are stressed out, do you run to Jesus? Do, do you run to an authentic faith? Or do you run to your old coping mechanisms? See, it's, it's kind of like one of my favorite illustrations. Uh, it's, it's by a guy named John Piper. He talks about uh, buying his wife roses. And really, the, the heart motivation says everything. It's, it's about my joy and glorifying the Lord. They go together. If I'm not joyful in glorifying the Lord, then I'm not glorifying the Lord. Uh, it's it's kind of like this, John says. Uh, it, it'd be like if I bought Taylor flowers, and uh, we're going on a date, and I, and I walk up there, and I, I knock on the door. Taylor answers the door, and I say, Taylor, I got you these roses. I didn't really want to, but felt like you wouldn't love me if I didn't, so here you go. Okay, Taylor's not going to like the roses. It doesn't matter how pretty the roses are. She's going to take them. She's going to throw them down. She's going to say, you shouldn't have even got them. If, if that's why you did it, you shouldn't have got me the roses. Okay, versus if I come and, and I run up to the door and I'm excited and, 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 you know, I knock on the door. Taylor answers the door and I say, I got you roses. And Taylor says, oh, you shouldn't have. And I say, I shouldn't have. I should have got you more, but I didn't even know what to do. These roses are the best I can do. They will die, but our love will never die, dear. I would never say something that corny. But if I did, it'd be a good night in the Farley household. Amen. Because she'd feel glorified and it would come from a great place of joy in my own heart. This is the way Jesus calls us to serve him. This is the way Jesus calls us to live. I pour my life out for Jesus, not because I have to, because I love him. Jesus, here's my life. I wish I could do more. It's nothing in comparison to what you've done for me, but this is what I have. And you know what Jesus does? He looks at our, our little gift, our little life that is nothing in comparison to what he's done for us. And he says, I love it. Because that's what he wants. He wants you, not what you can do for him. Friends, I pray that you identify where you are on the journey and you take the next step, not because you have to, but because you get to. And I'd be honored to help you on that journey wherever you are. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you, God, that you sent your son to live the life I couldn't live and die the death I deserve to die so I can live this life without shame. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit in the church, not a place, time, or event, but a people to help me grow 
in my journey of Christ-likeness. And Lord, thank you for the future hope I have that when this world is falling apart, when I'm stuck in my grief and my sorrow, I have a hope unlike the world to look forward to the day in which you return and you make everything right again. And Lord, we can trust all of this because the grave is empty, because you are who you say you are. Right now, friends, with your eyes closed, head bowed, take about 20 seconds and say, God, what are you saying to me through this message? And then just listen. Father, I pray that you'd give us the courage to obey whatever it is you're speaking to us. Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Amen. Friends, let's stand and offer our worship to this God. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.